You're listening to the Trinity Podcast. We are a multi-site church in the Chicago area whose mission is to help you look, live, and love more like Jesus. Not only has Jesus paid the price for our sins by dying on the cross, but his forgiveness assures us that he is not angry with us. He wants the best for us. He seeks to fully restore us. This week, we examine a conversation Jesus had with Peter. We'll see that while Peter may still be stuck on his past, Jesus is hyper-focused on pointing Peter toward the future. Let's listen to week five of The Forgiving Challenge. Welcome back, everybody, to The Forgiving Challenge, this 40-day journey that we are on together to see how God's forgiveness leads to a life of freedom. And what we've been experiencing as we've been going through this journey together is the different stages that God works us through to help us not only experience freedom from our past, but also freedom for our future. We started by looking at the letter S, which stands for the word sin, this problem that we all wrestle with, and talked about how one of the first steps in dealing with that sin is then bringing it to Jesus in confession. Last week, we saw how Jesus pays the debt and absolves us of our wrongdoing, and this week, we're looking at the letter R, which stands for restoration. Now, this is an important thing to understand in our journey of forgiveness because, as we saw last week, there are really two definitions when it comes to defining what it means to forgive someone. The first definition is to cancel a debt or to wipe away what is owed. And we saw how really it is Jesus' absolution that does that, that he doesn't ask us to pay the price for what we've done. Rather, he pays it and and wipes the slate clean. But the second definition of forgiveness is this. It's to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake. And to truly have full forgiveness, we have to experience both. We have to have the action of wiping away the debt, but we also have to have the attitude of of full forgiveness in which anger and resentment are no more. And that's really what we're talking about this week when we talk about restoration. It's dealing with that second half of forgiveness. And this is important for us because we live in a society that really doesn't do restoration very well. We've come to call it cancel culture, where when somebody does something wrong, not only do they have to pay the debt and not be absolved, but they have to be canceled, cut off entirely. That in some ways we found ways to justify our lack of restoration and continuing to hold people's faults against them by canceling them, saying that you have no more voice, no more place in my life or, or at the center of my attention. No wonder forgiveness is so hard for our society these days. And so I want us to go back to the place that we've been meditating on over the past several weeks to see how Jesus' restoration truly does lead to freedom and healing. We're going right back to John chapter 21. Now, again, if you're new with us, let me just kind of set the scene for you. We have been looking at the life of Peter, Jesus' closest friend, the leader of Jesus' disciples, and seeing how Peter, in a moment when it mattered most, actually betrayed Jesus. Not once, but three times. When Jesus was on trial, Peter had three opportunities to to confess that he knew Jesus and was willing to go with Jesus to the end and, and denied him. 
And where we find Peter in John chapter 21 is that Peter has gone back to doing what he used to do before he was a disciple. He's gone back to fishing. While Jesus' story has continued uh, with his resurrection, his rising from the tomb, Peter has kind of said, I no longer have a role to play in this story because he's messed up. And here's what we find in John 21. It says that afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. See, what we, where we find Peter in John 21 is that he's gone back to his old job. He was a fisherman before Jesus ever called him to be a disciple. And this is significant, and, and there's been no small amount of debate around why Peter did this. There are some scholars who said we really shouldn't read too much into this. I mean, maybe Peter just didn't know what was next. He knew that Jesus had been risen from the dead, that Jesus had been resurrected. So maybe he's just waiting. Maybe he's just waiting for the next step of instructions. But I'm, I'm on the side of the other scholars who said, no, what really matters here is, is who says this and the context in which it's said. That there's a lot more going on when Peter says, I'm going out to fish than him simply picking up an old hobby. And maybe to give an illustration, it's kind of like if I were to tell my wife I'm going out to play basketball, she would probably look at that and be like, oh no, Nick is starting another hobby. And, and let's be honest, no one would be impressed if I were to step onto a basketball court, all five, nine of me with absolutely no coordination. At best, I'd be trying to take up a hobby and probably failing at it pretty miserably. But it's one thing for me to say I'm, I'm going to play basketball, and it's another thing for Michael Jordan to say that he's going to play basketball. You see, I remember when Michael Jordan retired the first time, when he said that he was done playing basketball after easily being considered the greatest basketball player of all time. He said he was going to go and, and try his hand at baseball, and for us Chicago fans, that was a, that was a huge punch to the gut. But the day came when... When Michael said, you know, I'm, I'm going to play basketball. And the rejoicing in Chicago was nuts because we knew what that meant because of who said it. Michael was going back to doing what he did best. He was going back to doing his job that, that only he could do. And it led us to, yes, another three-peat of championships. You see, it's one thing for me to say I'm going to play basketball. It's a totally different story when Michael Jordan says it. And so for Peter to say, I'm going fishing is him saying, I'm going back to what I know how to do. I'm going back to my job. And, and it says a lot about where Peter's mental state is at in that moment. He thinks that his part of the Jesus story is done. He goes back to doing what he did before. He's no longer pursuing the calling that Jesus gave to him when he asked him to be a disciple three years prior. And what's so interesting is that Peter's, Peter's role hasn't changed. I mean, what I find so amazing is that he gets other disciples to go with him. He still is naturally a leader, but now not only is he not following God's plan for his life, but he's convinced other people to not follow God's plan as well. In many ways, it's reminiscent of that phrase that I think uh, many of us have heard that hurt people hurt people. Peter is hurting. 
And sometimes in those moments of failure, we, we tend to retreat back into what we know best. That rather than stepping out and taking a risk once more, we go back to a place where we think that maybe at least here we know how to get things done and be a little bit more successful. At least here, maybe I can assuage my guilt and, and comfort my conscience by doing something that I know how to do. And that's exactly what Peter is doing. In the face of his failures, he's going back to what he thinks he knows. He's left God's path for his life, and he's getting back into a boat and returning to his prior profession. But what I love is that Jesus still has a plan for Peter. And the way that that plan is revealed is in this beautiful moment in which Jesus complicates Peter's plans. Peter goes out to fish, but we read that he catches absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I think sometimes one of the things that I love about God is that God will often complicate our plans when those plans are leading us away from his purposes. Let me give you a really good example. Right after I graduated from college, I I decided to join InterVarsity Christian Fellowship as a campus minister, and I was serving at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And I'll be honest, that was a rough two years of ministry because as an InterVarsity staff worker, I had to fundraise my own salary and ministry expenses, and that was quite challenging for me. And while I enjoyed working with the students and seeing students come to faith for the first time, I was also really exhausted. I was emotionally exhausted, I was physically exhausted, I was financially exhausted, and, and I remember I had been talking with somebody that I admired about taking another job. You see, after two years with InterVarsity, my internship was up. I had a choice to continue in college ministry or to go and pursue another career. And as I'd been talking with this friend and mentor, he said, well, maybe you could come and work for my organization. And on the surface, it looked like a, a great job. It would allow me to do things that I loved to do, to write, to speak, to train young people. And, uh, and it came with a pretty guaranteed salary, one that I didn't have to personally fundraise. And uh, I remember sitting on my bed one night and, and praying and um and basically telling God, I, I'm going to take this job. I'm going to leave ministry, and I'm going to go and work for this organization. And I had this distinct feeling as I was praying that God was saying, no, that's, that's not the plan or the purpose that I have for you. And every night for two weeks, I remember I would, I would go to my quiet time, and I would, I would pray, and it was almost like I was having this argument with God where he was saying, I want you to stay in ministry. And I was like, no way, I'm not going. In fact, during those two weeks, I even had the opportunity to come up to Chicago and look at the ministry at UIC and to consider starting there. And as I was on that campus, just getting this distinct impression that God was saying, this is where you should be, and me being like, I don't want to do it. And it finally came to this moment where I was sitting there in a quiet time and I was reading through the book of Exodus. And it was this pivotal moment in the book of Exodus where the people had betrayed God by creating an idol. And Moses is, is pleading with God to, to still forgive his people and go with them. And, and God tells Moses, you know, you can go to the promised land, but, but I won't go with you. And Moses says, then don't, then don't send us. Because if you don't go with us, then the rest doesn't matter. And in that moment, it was almost like I heard an audible voice where God was saying, fine, you can take that job, but I won't go with you. 
And I just remember falling to my knees and saying, and if you're not going to go with me, Lord, then, then I'm not going. And I decided to stay in ministry and say yes to that calling. And yeah, UIC wasn't any easier than U of I was, but it was so rewarding. And it, and it helps me continue on the path of ministry that's, that's brought me to this moment now. You see, God was frustrating my plans. He was making them a little bit more complicated. This was my night of going out fishing and coming up with absolutely nothing. And that's exactly what he's doing here with Peter. He's complicating and frustrating his plans because he knows that Peter's plans are leading him away from God's purposes. And then the very next thing that Jesus does is he once more recreates a moment for Peter. Last week, we talked about how he created, recreated Peter's worst moment and redeemed him from it, absolved him of it. But here now, he actually recreates one of Peter's greatest moments. That as they're coming back toward shore, it says that early in the morning, Jesus stood on the bank, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. You see, this harkens all the way back to Jesus' very first calling of Peter. It was a time when Jesus was preaching right there on the shore to these huge crowds of people. And so in order to be heard, he, he gets into Peter's boat and says, will you go out onto the water so that the people can see and hear my voice? And, and he does, and Jesus preaches to the people from the boat. And then he looks to Peter and he says, why don't you row out a little further for a catch? And Peter's like, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll do it. And they, they row out and they throw the nets where Jesus tells them to throw them. And they haul in this great catch of fish. And it's in that moment that Jesus calls Peter to be his disciple and says, I will now make you a fisher of men. It was a highlight moment in Peter's life hearing Jesus issue that call to him. And right here in this moment, Jesus is recreating that encounter and calling Peter to once more follow him. This is Jesus' restoration of Peter, restoring him to his original calling. You see, that's the beauty of God's forgiveness, of the, of the forgiveness that Jesus gives, because it's, it's one thing to have freedom from sin, but it's another thing to experience freedom for God's purposes. And what we see is that Jesus is doing both. By absolving Peter of his worst moment, he was setting him free from his sin and his shame. But here now in calling Peter once more, he's setting him free to once more experience the joy of living according to the purposes that Jesus alone has for him. It's not just freedom from sin, it's freedom for God's purposes. Jesus is inviting Peter into, into something so much greater once more and saying, I, I want you to still be a part of my work and my kingdom. And again, I think that this would have been a beautiful moment of, of deep healing and restoration for Peter. Because in, in this moment, Jesus truly is rescuing Peter's life. By absolving him of his sin, he's setting Peter free for eternity. But by restoring Peter to his calling, he's also setting Peter free for today, right now, here in this life. I mean, think about what would have happened if, if Jesus hadn't done this. If he hadn't restored Peter to his calling. 
It would have meant that every time Peter went out to fish, it would have reminded him of how he'd come so close and then walked away from his calling. How every time Peter would have heard a rooster crow, it would have been a slap in the face reminding him of how much he fell short. And yet here in this moment, Jesus is calling to Peter once more and saying, follow me. And I love how he does it. What we notice is he actually does it publicly. He does it right there with the other disciples uh, watching and, and overhearing it. It's after they eat that Jesus speaks to Peter and asks him three times, do you love me more than these? And concludes by every time Peter saying, yes, I love you, calling him to feed his sheep, tend his lambs, and then ultimately to follow him. Now, how we think about Jesus determines a lot about how we read that conversation. Because we notice he actually starts with Peter's full name, his given name. He says, Simon, son of John. Now, I don't know about you. Growing up, if, if somebody called me by my full name, that meant something very clearly. It meant that I was in deep trouble. If, they, if I heard my parents say, Nicholas Matthew Price, I knew it was because I'd been found out. I had messed up and I was in massive trouble. And I think that sometimes when we read this encounter, that's what we think Jesus is doing. He's just further shaming Peter to remind Peter, hey man, you're nothing without me. But I really don't think that that's what's going on here. Because there are other times in our lives when our full name is said with love and with purpose. I can think of three moments in particular where my full name was used out of love. The first time is actually one that I don't even remember, that I only know from pictures and stories, but it was the day that I was baptized. Where as I was baptized, the pastor spoke the words, Nicholas Matthew Price, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, I, I was given this gift of faith and salvation. God had put his stamp on my life. A stamp on my life that I wouldn't even come to realize the significance of until I was 18. But a stamp nonetheless. Or I think about the day that I was married to my wife and, and again the pastor said, Nicholas Matthew Price, do you take Jenny to be your lawfully wedded wife? And I said, I do. It was this moment of, of marking, entering into a new covenant with someone, someone who would become my life partner and, and best friend, the start of my married life to my wife. Or I think about the moment that I was ordained into pastoral ministry. And as the other pastors laid their hands on my shoulders, they said, Nicholas Matthew Price, you are called to the office of holy ministry. These moments when my full name was spoken were moments when I was being invited into something so much greater than myself. They were moments of claiming and commissioning, claiming me as a, as a child of God, commissioning me for a new covenant or a new calling or a new purpose. And I think right here, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Peter's failure was a very public failure. It happened in the sight of all kinds of people. They knew what he had done. And yet here now publicly, Jesus is restoring Peter to his calling. It would have been this powerful moment of letting Peter and the other disciples know that Jesus didn't hold Peter's failings against him, but wanted Peter to once more step into his full calling. This is what restoration looks like. 
It's a, it's a healing of a relationship and a restoring to a calling and a purpose. And that's exactly what Jesus does with us. And they both happen in the same moment. Isn't it amazing? We've been in this chapter now for weeks on, in, in a row, looking at how in the moment of absolution, there was also restoration. The moment Jesus says your debt is canceled, he also restores you for a greater purpose and calling. And the same is true for you and for me. The moment Jesus claimed you as his own, he also commissioned you for a purpose. To be a part of bringing his good news and his forgiveness and his restoration to the people around you. Peter's story would be one that would lead to the healing of so many people because he would then live the rest of his life telling everyone about the grace and mercy of the God that he followed. See, one of the things that's so powerful to note is how while we have four Gospels, every single one of them is dependent on Peter's testimony. Here's what I mean. Most scholars believe that the Gospel of Mark was the very first gospel ever written. And if church history is true and there's really good evidence to show that it is, what it means is that Mark actually wrote that gospel directly based on the personal sermons and retellings of Peter. Likewise, Luke and Matthew borrowed heavily from Mark to craft their gospels. And even here in the gospel of John, we see Peter front and center as one of the main characters. Peter was willing to tell other people the story of his failing and of Jesus' grace and forgiveness. And because of him being willing to retell that story, we now know about Jesus. And what I love about this is that Jesus doesn't have to do this. He doesn't need to call Peter to be his mouthpiece. In fact, if you really think about it for for just a moment, what we realize is Jesus never needed Peter to do anything. Even in that moment when he asked Peter to row out uh, from the shore so that he could speak to the crowds from the water, he didn't need Peter to do that. Jesus could walk on water. He could have walked out on that lake himself and, and spoken to the crowds. Likewise, he doesn't need Peter to be his mouthpiece because at key moments in his ministry, God the Father from heaven spoke on Jesus' behalf saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Jesus didn't need Peter's testimony. See, Jesus didn't need Peter to do anything, but he wanted Peter because he loved Peter. And what Jesus loves most is is doing life with us, spending time with us. In fact, I love how the gospel writer Mark puts it in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. He's talking about that time when he called the 12 disciples and says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. See, before Jesus ever asked Peter to do anything for him, he simply wanted Peter to be with him. And maybe what you need to hear this restoration weekend is that Jesus feels the same way about you. Some of us may go through life knowing that we're forgiven and knowing that God loves us, but never really feeling like God likes us. That his love is kind of the grudging love of a disappointed father who's just kind of obligated to love his kids, but doesn't really like spending time with them. But what we see right here is that Jesus loves Peter and likes Peter. That though he doesn't need Peter, he wants Peter to be with him. 
And to be a part of his mission and his calling and the same is true for you. The very center of our faith is all about restoration. Better, it's about resurrection. How in that moment when Jesus was dead and it felt like the story was over, he rose again to new life. And that resurrection power is exactly what he wants you to experience as well as he restores your life, as he calls you to a greater purpose, as he takes your story and weaves it into his own so that others can know about the grace of our God as told through you. And so as we reflect on that restoration, what I want you to hear this weekend is that you are desired by God, called by Christ for a greater purpose of telling his story about how his grace has transformed you. God loves you. God likes you. And Jesus calls you to be with him. So now go and tell the story. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that even though you don't need us, you love us and you love us and you like us and you desire to spend time with us and you call us to a purpose far greater than anyone we would ever ever settle for on our own. And so Lord, I pray that the, the healing and the freedom that we would receive today is not just that we have freedom for eternity, but we have freedom for today to live according to your purposes and to help other people experience the kind of grace and restoration that you've given to us. So help us to, to not be afraid nor to go back to previous callings, but to step out in faith with you wherever you are calling us, knowing that if you call us, you will also go with us. And that you go with us because you love us. And Lord, may that be the source of our strength and our hope and our joy. That we might give just as we've received your grace your forgiveness, and your calling for now and for all eternity. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Trinity Podcast. We hope this week's message encouraged you to consider the claims of Jesus in a new way, and we would love to have you join us for worship on the weekend. To find a location near you, visit www.tlc4u.org.